We're in Romans chapter 6 this morning. Paul uh, is writing, and he's writing while on one of his missionary journeys to the church in Rome. And the church in Rome is probably a group of about 100 to 200 believers in a metropolis area like St. Louis and larger. And they are gathering, not in a building like we have, not in a, a brick church or a, a stone building that everybody recognizes. Hey, there's the steeple, that's the church. They're, not ga- they're gathering in each other's homes. And they're basically doing that because at the time, it wasn't popular, it wasn't vogue, it wasn't acceptable to be a Christian. It was, you know, the, at the time, they were called to worship Caesar, the king. And so to be a Christian was a dangerous thing, and they were all doing it anyway because they had received and they had experienced the love of the Lord. And so while they're doing this, Paul feels a call on his heart to write to them because he can't go to them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to bolster or strengthen their faith. And rather than you know being able to go, which it wasn't in the Lord's will to go yet, he writes them a letter. And as he's writing them this letter, he tells them everything that he can possibly think to tell them. And he goes to the most smallest details of the faith, but he wants to give them the basics, but he also wants to get a little deeper. So in Romans, so far he's given his greeting in the first half of chapter 1. He's uh, explained that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of Christ for salvation to all those who believe. There's a difference between believing in Jesus and knowing that he exists. Uh, Many people believe that and have proven that Jesus was in fact a real person that existed in history. There are many people that recognize that, but they do not call him Lord. They do not believe that he was the Son of God, that he died, that he rose again, and that he ascended on the third day. They don't believe that he is the Son of God that will one day rule and reign over the earth and over all men. They don't believe that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, but they do recognize he was a person. And so, Rather than looking at it from the aspect of did he exist or not, Paul's looking at it as if you believe in him, that is the power of God unto salvation. So as he's recognized, he's told them that, then he starts and he explains how the wrath of God will one day be revealed against all unrighteousness. Uh, The little white lie that we go, well, it's just a little one. The wrath of God will be revealed against that. And even that person that just told one little white lie if they don't repent and believe in Jesus for their perfection, for their righteousness, then when they get to meet with Jesus that day, he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with you. You rejected me. And so it's not about those deeds, because then he comes to the point in Romans chapter uh, four or five, he says, uh, Therefore, by the works of the law, no man will be justified. And then he spends an entire chapter explaining that anyone who is justified in the sight of God has to be justified, not based on works, not based on good deeds, not based on, I went to church my whole life, but they have to be justified by faith in the Son of God. So what does that look like? What what does it mean to have faith in the Son of God? Is it a, a platitude that we, you know, Share something on Facebook? Is that a platitude to where, you know, if someone says, hey, are you a Christian? Yes. 
Or is it a lifestyle? Is it a change that can be witnessed by people that are around you that see that you're different? And I would say that it's a lot of those things, but if the heart hasn't changed and you're doing all the outward, then God's not impressed. He's not impressed by our lip service. And so he said, you are justified by faith that you can't do enough to earn God's favor. And he said actually that in the gospel, because of our sinfulness, that God is glorified in showing his mercy, showing his grace, his free gift of salvation goes to sinners. It doesn't go to the people that think that they're righteous. And so if that's the case, Paul gets to chapter 6 and he has to ask a real hard question. In chapter 6, verse 1, he says this. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If God is glorified by forgiving people who are ungodly, who repent of their sin, then once I become a Christian, can I continue in sin and then may God be glorified? Can I sin to God's glory? Now, if we say it like that, it sounds ridiculous. My sinful lifestyle brings glory to God. But if you've ever really thought about it, if you've ever struggled with sin at all, this question really should come up. Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall I live a sinful lifestyle? If God's forgiven me and I can do nothing to earn his favor, then what's stopping me from continuing to sin? I'll just let it rip for sin. And so if we really consider that question, and I came to this point in my life at one point, there were some sins that I could not shake, and I didn't know why. And so I said, Lord, I know that I'm not supposed to do this. Maybe I can just continue in it, and then when people see my flaws, then you'll be glorified even more because you love this mess. But Paul answers in verse 2, he says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now, Paul's not asking the question, well, you know, uh, shall I continue to mess up once in a while? Because the reality is many of us, most of us, I would say all of us, have little spurts where we just mess up. We're not trying to miss the mark. We just screw up. You know, sin is this. The, the literal translation for the word sin is to miss the mark. So if you've ever gone and like shoot cans or a target, you go out to do target practice before you go hunting, you set up a target however farther, far away and then you set up where you're going to shoot from. And then you aim for that target because you're trying to sight in your rifle. Well, many of us, we shoot for that target and because we blink, because we breathe at the wrong time, because the wind's blowing, any of the thing, maybe it's farther than we thought, we go to shoot and what happens? We miss. That is what it means to miss the mark. God gives us his standard. We try to live by it. We aim for the target and we miss. That's sin. We were trying to hit it, but we missed. Here's another one. God gives us his commandments. He gives us his law. He gives us his word. And we know what we're supposed to do, but we're like, you know what? I don't want to do it. I'm not even going to try and hit the target. So we shoot off in the other direction because there's a squirrel or whatever. And we, that's where we want to hit. So we miss the mark intentionally. That is sin as well. That's called a transgression. So we have sins of omission, where we didn't know any better and we missed the mark. 
And we have sins of commission. We knew better and we shot the other direction anyway. We rejected God's command. We rebelled. All of them are sin, whether you're trying to hit the mark or not. So he's not saying that if I mess up once in a while unknowingly, then, you know, basically you've totally missed it. What he's saying is there's a group of Christians that are going to ask this. Shall I continue a sinful lifestyle, a habitual rejecting of God's command, sinning, and just not trying to change at all? For instance, there's a group, a growing group of churches and individuals that are saying, you know what, God made me a homosexual and I can't help it. And so I'm going to continue in this, but I can be a Christian and do that. Now, I don't want to be crass about this because the reality is, is every one of us in this room, I guarantee, knows somebody that's a homosexual, a practicing one. And if you don't, you probably don't know, but there's probably somebody in your life that is. I've got people that I know that are. And, and the reality is, is that God doesn't hate them. The Christian church has failed at, at expressing God's heart for the homosexual, male and female. The reality is that marriage was made for one man and one woman. That's what God's order was, whether we like it or not. He doesn't have to apologize. That's how he made things work. And we know that because if a man and a woman come together, a child becomes life. And so the point is, though, that there is a group saying, well, I can just continue in this. God will forgive me. But the reality is, is no, God won't. And I'll get to that in Galatians in a little bit. There's a scripture that expresses that. Those who continue, even though they may be professing Christians, saying, I'm, I'm Jesus Christ, I'm his disciple. There are many people that they say that, but their lifestyle proves otherwise. The outward actions of your life prove what you believe. And so Paul's going to express what he means by what he said in verse 2. He says, certainly not. We shall not continue in sin. He says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So he expresses a truth that we've died to sin. Now he's going to expound upon that. He's going to explain more intimately what that means. What does it mean to die to sin? What does it mean to, to die? To be separated from? To, to end one's, you know. So he says there in verse 3, knowing that there's a group of people that think this, He's going to explain in verse 3, or do you not know? So he's asking, do you not know? And then he's going to state what he's going to say. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Well, wait a minute. I thought I got baptized and that meant I received eternal life. What do you mean I'm baptized into his death? Well, when we hear the word baptized, we immediately think of a creek or a pond, or a pool. We think of water, right? We think of water baptism. John the Baptist, the first guy to ever baptize anybody. His identity, people called him John the Baptist because he was baptizing people. They would come out to the wilderness in the desert. They would come to him and he would preach to them repentance. He was telling them about a baptism of repentance. Repentance means a change of mind to turn a 180. I was going this way and God turned me around and I agreed with him. I confessed, Lord, you're right. I'm going to go in the other direction. I'm going to go towards you. 
But when he said, is he said, I'm baptized in the name, he's, he's getting, <laughs> sorry. He preached a baptism of repentance. So the fact that you've turned from your sin, you've died to the old nature. And then he would baptize you as a symbol saying, you are now dead. The old man is dead and you've been risen to obey God. And then they, they, they all marveled at his teaching. And John the Baptist said, don't marvel. He said, I baptize you with water, but there's coming one after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? I'm more confused than when I started. He says there, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And then he says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When you were baptized in the water, when Christ illuminated your heart, you recognize what Paul's been telling us in the first couple chapters, that the wrath of God will be revealed against all unrighteousness, the works of sin. You, need, you needed a Savior. And so you said, Lord, I confess to you that I've not been living my life for you. I confess to you that I need you. Please come into my life. And at the moment of salvation, you have to recognize that Jesus came into your life. You prayed a prayer of repentance. And at that moment, because you recognize that, he gives us the gift that he prayed for in John. He, he sent the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of the judgment to come. And that voice that he's given us that speaks to us, conviction, actually draws us closer to the Lord. When we sin, we're miserable in it because we know we're not pleasing the Father. So the Holy Spirit says, you know, that's not right. You know, you need to repent. And then you turn around and you go back if you're obedient to the Spirit. But many times what happens is people don't. They feel like they're being condemned. They in condemnation, what it does is it separates us from God. We fail. We think, God can't save me from this. We turn away and we walk away. But conviction pulls us to the Lord. And so I love this because he says, Do you not know that as many of us were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's the death of the old nature. Before you receive the baptism of the Spirit, before you believe in Jesus as Lord, you have no power over sin. The guy walking down the street, the guy driving in his car that does not know Jesus anywhere that you are, cannot overcome sin. The sin is reigning in their life. Sin controls them. It's got them in bondage. They're in chains to it. It says go and they do. But for the believer, you, that old part of you, that old nature has died when Jesus was put to death on the cross, that nature was killed. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that nature was killed on him. He took on the sin of the world and every sin that you've done, past, present, and in future, he died for them. It was a timeless act. And when you put your faith in him, all of your transgressions, all of your sins that you didn't know you committed, they were put to death on the cross. But he didn't just die to pay for our sins. He also died so that, and then rose from the dead by the power of the Spirit, showing that we, we can live in newness of life. 
The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, he's given us so that we should no longer be controlled by sin. And I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm just basically telling you what the passage says. He says in verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That old self, that old nature, when Jesus was buried in the tomb, we were too. When we put our faith in him, that accounts to us. Just as Christ was, and, and then therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That old nature is gone, the new nature is given to us, the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit still does the same thing that it was doing before you were saved. The Holy Spirit knocks on your heart before you're ever saved. He's like the hound dog of heaven. He's, he's going out and chasing people down. He's knocking on them going, you know, that's not right. And then once they receive Jesus, they recognize their need for a savior. He gives us the Holy Spirit to come into us, to reside in us and to deal with our sinful nature, to put it to death and give us the power to choose to follow God, to be obedient. And I love that because before Christ, I knew nothing of sin. And now with Christ illuminating my heart day by day, he's convicting me of the things that need to change. He loves me despite my sin, but he loves me enough to want to change me. Romans chapter 12 is going to say down the road when we get there, he's going to say, no longer be conformed to the image of this world and the world will try to conform you into its image, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can't do that without the Lord doing the transformation, without him illuminating things that need to change. In verse five, he says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of Jesus' death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Our old nature was, was past tense, already crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. I love this because that word done away with in the end of verse six there actually means put out of business. God has, by his grace, saved us. He's given us his spirit and then he puts us out of business. That old nature, the flesh that tries to rule over us. It's that when you're sitting there and you're talking with somebody and, and you really want to pay attention to what they're saying, but your stomach says, I'm hungry. And it wants to put self first rather than listening to that person. That's that flesh saying, I want to rule over you. But by the power of the spirit, we can say no. You're not going to rule me anymore, flesh. Now, no doubt, when you're hungry, you need to eat. But if it causes you to sin because you're hungry, then realize that you don't have to give in, that you can overcome, that you can say, Lord, I'm hungry right now. I don't want to sin, though. You know when we're most tempted? Uh, a lady told me this. She said, you're most tempted, and she said, think of HALT, an, an abbreviation. Hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely and when you're tired. I experienced this, this I experienced this yesterday. I wanted to do some things, but I was hungry. Number 1, I was tired. I was extremely tired. I had the bright idea 
that Friday night, I went and bought some lumber, and I was going to go finish, finally put up some trim in the nursery back here. No problem. But I still had to study, so I studied till about 10.30. And I was like, you know what? I used to stay up all the time for silly stuff. And I've got some energy, and I want to listen to some Bible teaching. So I'm going to go over to the church, and I'm going to put up some trim. No problem, right? It's 10.30 at night, though. I'm not as young as I used to be. I get tired easy. So I came over here. I brought all my tools. Told Kelly goodnight. I came over here, put my headphones in, locked the door. I went back there and started working on that room. Well, I wanted to finish it. I don't know if you guys are like that, but when I start a project and I only have so much time to do it, I want to get it done. So by the time I got home, got into bed after taking a shower because I was covered in sawdust, it was 2 a.m. So, no problem, right? I'll go to bed. Jesse and I got up, 7 a.m., we went to Bible study. We already had that plan. I can't just, you know, cancel my plans because I'm tired. I needed some Bible study time. I knew that because I was going to be tired all day. So then I come home, we went to the baseball game and had some good times. You know, I, I worked till 2 so I could get some rest and spend the day with Lucy and Kelly. So my flesh is tired, so I'm a little irritable. I don't know if you guys have ever been like that. Maybe that's just me. But when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when I'm angry, maybe when I'm lonely, that's when I'm tempted. And that's when the flesh takes over and says, I didn't sleep, it's about me. And I, the spirit within me said, you got to not be so irritable. You, you can overcome because I've given you the spirit. And, and the reality is, is God's done that. Now, I, if you ask Kelly, and she'll be totally honest with you, I'm a little snippy yesterday. But under the power of the Spirit, I wasn't as bad as I could have been. Now there's always room to grow. But what the Lord is telling us in this passage is that sin will try to overcome us. Our flesh will want to do it. Sin is pleasurable for a season. But in order to obey the Lord, I can, by the power of the Spirit, overcome the flesh. And I can live a life that's glorifying to God, whether I'm tired, whether I'm hungry, whether I worked a bunch during the week, whether I'm stressed out about this or that. It doesn't matter. I have no excuse because if sin reigns over me, it's because I'm living in the flesh. And God said, you can overcome that. And the reason I know that is because it's the same spirit that Jesus was given to overcome and never sin. And I love that because he doesn't just give us commands and say, do them or else. He says, do them and I'll give you the power to do them. Jesus, everything that he did in his life, read the gospel account. He never sinned. And it's not because his life was easy or simple. His life was complicated. It was overwhelming. It was stressful. But he never sinned. So, verse 8. If we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. That life, that death, it's ours. God has by the Spirit given it to us. And death no longer has dominion over him. We've been given the same Spirit. We are in Christ. Death no longer has dominion over you. Now your physical body, it will die. But your spirit will live on for eternity with the Lord. And so these things that try to take us over, our bodies, our sinful desires, our flesh, when it says, me, 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 we can say no. It no longer has dominion over us. And I love that because in, 
Romans chapter 5, we just read that he said from Adam to Moses, death reigned or sin reigned. And so no longer, sin has no longer the ability to take us over. Verse 10, for the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. So if we are in that same death, baptized in the same way, so the death no longer has dominion over us. Verse 10, for the death that we died, because we died with Christ, we died to sin once for all, but the life that we live, just like Jesus lived, we live to God. We're no longer living to please sin. We're no longer living to please the flesh. So we're called to live in order to please God. We live our lives to God. So in verse 11, he gives us the first, here's something you need to do as a Christian. We spent almost five and then 10 verses into chapter six, he hasn't told us to do anything yet. Now that's different than me. I I like to go ahead and go straight to the doing. In college, I had to take all kinds of courses on theoretical math. Well, I didn't want to do math. I wanted to design stuff. But what they said was, if you learn the theory of physics and circuits and all the other it's, what you can do is you learn all the theory behind it and then you can design. So what God has done through the pen of Paul in Romans is he's explained to us all that has taken place, that the wrath of God will be revealed against us, that we can't be righteous on our own, that we can be justified by faith, and that God has given us power over sin, and then he tells us to do something. Verse 11, the first thing he tells us to do in verse 11 is likewise, just as Jesus did, you also reckon yourselves to be dead into sin, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does it mean to reckon something? If you ever watch an old Western, what do they say? Well, you know, which way did that feller go? Well, I reckon he went that way. In other words, I think he went that way. He's not saying think yourselves dead to sin. He's saying reckon. It's like when you reconcile your checkbook. You get online or whatever you do, you get your bank statement, you you check it to your checkbook and you you know from the bank, hopefully, that they've kept good records because it's electronic. Of course, that never fails. But then we check that to our checkbook and go, if what I've done and have receipts for matches what the bank's telling me. And then we reconcile the two together. We bring them together and hopefully come up with an accurate account. So when Paul says, reckon yourselves dead to sin, he's not saying, you know, check out and see if you think you're dead to sin. He's saying you are dead to sin. If you're in Christ, check your bank statement. Reckon, account, recognize. And I love that because he's not telling us necessarily to do something. He's just saying, hey, check your bank account. See what God's given you. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. So I would ask you, if you are in Christ this morning, what is it that's had a pattern recently of ruling over you? Has it been sin? Have you been dominated by the flesh? Has it been taking control of you? Or have you been dominated by the Spirit? Have you been ruled over by Christ? I would tell you, yes. Personally, I've been ruled by Christ in many aspects of my life. I've also had some areas that I've been ruled over by sin. And so what the Lord's saying is, check your bank statement. You are in Christ. If you are in Christ, then you are dead to sin. 
Sin no longer has dominion over you. And I tell you that, but let's go to Galatians where Paul explains a little bit more deeply. Galatians chapter 5. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then I think Ephesians. No? Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then Galatians, and then Ephesians. But we're going to Galatians chapter 5. In verse 1, he says, Stand fast, or plant your feet, is the way I would render it. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, to the Galatians, he's talking about trying to be legalistic. But what I want to point out is that God does not want us to be in bondage, He freed us from sin. He freed us from our flesh so that we could truly live. He's taken off the shackles. So don't put them back on. You go back to sin, what you're doing is you're saying, sin, take me over, I'm yours. But you're Christ. Don't give yourself back. And then in verse 16, he says this, in Galatians 5, 16, he says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh it lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh or it doesn't lust, but it, it overpowers the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And we're getting ready to read that verse in Romans. You know, we no longer fulfill the desires of the spirit because we have to, to be saved. We should be doing it because we've been freed. We have the power. We have the freedom to obey the Lord. But he's saying there, don't put on a yoke of bondage again. But then he's also saying that even though you can reckon yourself dead to sin, that this flesh, this tent that we wear, it's evident, it's corrupted by sin. And I know that because if I look at my skin, it's dry, it's wearing out, I get calluses, even my hair's falling out. It grows in different places instead of the top of my head where I want it. You know, my bones hurt. My body aches. I know that that's an evidence that sin is in the world. And it's corrupted my flesh. But the reality is, is that though our bodies are worn out and they try to rule over us, that the spirit is being renewed day by day as we submit and as we reckon ourselves to be alive to Christ. Reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And the spirit that is in us has been made alive. And that spirit has the power to overcome the flesh. But he says then, walk in the spirit so that you do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you go to sin, if you go to it, if you do it, if you live in it, that's, a, that's an evidence that you're walking in the flesh. He says, don't do that. Walk in the spirit. And then he gives us some examples of what it looks like to walk in the flesh. Verse 19, here's what the works of the flesh are. And he's basically saying, if you notice these things in your life as instances or patterns, then you're walking in the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry. In other words, worshiping something other than God. Sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies. Here's mine. Outbursts of wrath. 
I'd like to say that I don't have a struggle with any of these, but these are all things that I'm prone to if I walk in the flesh. Um, he says, outbursts of wrath, and uh, selfish ambitions. There's another one of mine. Dissensions, heresies, envy, murder. Remember, Jesus didn't say murder is an outward action. He said it's an inward heart desire. If you hate somebody, you're pretty much murdering. Drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice, and the idea is that they continue in the practice of, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's heavy, right? There's a lot there. I don't know about you guys, but there's some things there that I struggle with. But the key to life is that you struggle with them. Don't give yourself over to it. If you have a struggle with something, flee the areas where you're tempted to do those things. Don't be there. But then he says, verse 22, in contrast, but, and I love this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, or the word is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. All of these things, they're not against God's law. These are the things that God encourages. And so he says there, those who, have, who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If you've been made alive in Christ, walk that way. If these things are evident in your life, these acts of the flesh, you're walking in the flesh, but walk in the Spirit. God's made you alive. And he's given you the power to no longer be controlled by those things. And so back there in Romans chapter 6, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion or control over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon or account yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've already read that. Now to verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign or have control in your mortal body that you should obey in its lusts. And do not present your members or your, your body as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. One of the best ways to no longer serve yourself is to serve God. To confess, Lord, I've tried being king of my life, and I'm a, excuse me, but I'm a crappy king. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a horrible king. I'm, I'm not good at running my life. I tried it, and all it led to was death and hurt and pain. Instead, I need you to be my ruler. I need you to be my king. I need you to be my Lord. You are good at all times. You're not swayed by temptation. You're always the same yesterday, today, and forever. You have my best interests in mind. Even when I don't want to obey your commands, I know that if I do, I will be safe. I'll be in your protection. When we sing that, your, that song, Your Name, it's a strong and mighty tower. What is a tower used for? Somebody climbs up to the top and they watch all the way around to be a protector, to watch when trouble's coming. 
Your name is a, a shelter. It's like no other. Think about the storms that we had this week. Where do people go when storms come? They try to find some shelter that's going to be safe. And the way that we shelter ourselves in the Lord is by listening to his word, being warned by it, obeying it. And when we obey the Lord, it's like we're in a storm, but we, when we obey it, we stay underneath the umbrella of his safety, his care. So he says, instead of presenting your bodies as instruments to sin, to flee the temptation, to avoid sin, present your members as bodies to do something else. You know, idle hands make a, uh, what, the devil's workshop or something like that. If you don't want to fulfill the lust of the flesh, fulfill something. Because if you try to be neutral and not do anything, what you're going to find is that your hands are going to look for something to do. So he said, present your members, your hands, your feet, Present your members to God, being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Do good works. And then he closes in verse 14, or we're going to close this week anyway. He says, For sin shall not have dominion, or headship, or ruler. It shall not lord over you, for you are not under law, but you are under grace. I love this. The law condemns, but grace sets free. If the Bible is being taught rightly, I read this from someone, I didn't come up with it. If you're reading the Bible rightly, it should cause you to ask the question, hey, can I just continue in sin and God's going to forgive me? It should cause you to ask that question because it seems like it's too easy. You mean God's just going to forgive me and I'm set free? What if I use that freedom for wrong? And he says, don't, because you're no longer ruled by sin. You're no longer ruled by the flesh. And then next week, he's going to talk about that we were slaves to sin. We weren't just like buddies with it. It was ruling over us. We were slaves to sin. But what he says is, now you've become slaves to righteousness. God's going to do good works through you. Righteousness is going to rule over you. And many times your flesh is going to go, I don't know if I want to get up at 7 a.m. on a Saturday. That's what mine does. And the Lord's going to say, it's going to be for your good. When you get up at 7 a.m., you go submit yourself to my word. I'm going to use it to continue to transform you by the renewing of your mind. So, Father, um, I don't always feel like um, you've given me the power to overcome sin, but the Bible tells me something that I don't always feel, and it's still true whether I feel it or not, that you've given me your spirit to overcome. I'm no longer subjected to the rulers or the powers of this world, but I'm subjected to you, and you give me the power to obey according to the spirit. And so, Lord, for each one of us, there are areas of our lives that I know that you want to transform, that you no longer, you didn't free us so that we could go back to bondage. You didn't free us so we could go back to jail. You freed us so that we could live free lives. And we can't do that on our own. We need you. And so, Lord, give us the mind of Christ. Give us your Holy Spirit. When we feel like we're empty and we don't feel like we, we can obey, help us to go back to you and say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit so I can do the things that I know you've called me to do. Lord, we need you more than ever. And uh, the, the world that we live in, it rejects you over and over again. And the people around us, the advice they give us, uh, they, they tell us we've got it in us, what we need in order to do whatever we want. But Lord, 
Um, we don't. They they believe the lie that they they're the uh, they're the controller of their destiny. Destiny. They're the master of their fate. But Lord, without you, we have no power over anything. We're dead. And so, Lord, thank you for giving us life. Help us to live lives that reflect people that are truly alive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.